Ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome you uh, to Startup World Cup and Summit podcasts. Uh, today we have a special guest, Andrei Roth. Uh, Andrei, I hope I promised. Uh, I hope I, I pronounced your name correctly because you just tried my, which was Václav. Not quite sure about the surname though. Uh, the surname is easy. It's Roth. It's Roth, whichever the language. So uh, in Romanian, it's it's a silent page, so just Roth. That's uh, cool. like German, like red. Uh, <laughs> so that's that. That would be the one I'm most comfortable. And for for you know, just call me Andy. So that's actually how. Will do. Uh, you can call me Václav. I am CEO of Adventures, and I am also a co-founder of Startup World Cup and Summit, which is a. Um, annual competition of startups. We're doing the European finale. We're proud to bring it to Prague. And this year, uh, we have started this series of podcasts. And I am super happy to have you on board because you represent a startup called UiPath. If somebody suddenly wakes up uh, in the startup bubble and doesn't know what UiPath is, I suggest you Google it because it's one of the couple unicorns that we have, we are lucky to have in our region. As your founder said, uh, you want to automate whatever is unnecessary to be done by human being. So you want to essentially create a robot for anything. Uh, maybe one interesting thing, Word robot was first created by brothers Chapex. Um, most people, they, they say that the author was Karel, but it's actually his brother was a, uh, a painter. So it's a funny thing. There was this game called RUR, uh, Robots, Un Rosam's Universal Robots, with a nice ending that was actually quite uh, like, like a mixture between catastrophe and uh, a glimpse of hope. So I think and I hope that what UiPath is doing will end up with the hope rather than catastrophe. It looks like that because your valuation is skyrocketing. And I think that there are many things that can be automated, many things that bother us in our daily lives. And this is where you come to save us. So thank you for this. And we will maybe start with you as a person uh, because, I mean, your life story, you, you described yourself before we started this startup as an earthling, but would, you know, you are being humble, but what I think is that you are an earthling that is lucky enough to study in Berkeley. Uh, you are lucky enough to, you know, be entrepreneur. And now you're lucky enough to be part of the very strategic team in UiPath in one of the fastest growing companies we are lucky to have in our region. So maybe, uh, bring us through your life story and tell us a couple of funny things because I know that you're a big fan of Monty Python as well. The, you, you who are listening to this podcast, you wouldn't appreciate what I am seeing now because I am seeing this, uh, this funny background with a silly walk, which is, uh, if you haven't seen that, you completely uh, need to uh, pause our talking and go to YouTube and Google silly walks and then you will understand. So without further ado, I, I would like to, uh, I would like to give you a space to do the little intro, uh, in your personal life. What brought you to UiPath and, and why do you love Monty Python and science fiction? 
Um, hi. So first of all, uh, great to meet you, Václav, and thank you for the for the invite. Uh, it's really um, an honor, actually, and a pleasure to have this conversation, even what we started just before uh, the record button. Uh, so um, my life story. So I think you 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 added the keyword there. It's lucky, and I think it's true. Um, it's lucky. I, I had the opportunity to. Um, to maybe be part of thing of some of the greatest things that are happening, and I'm talking university in the U.S. or uh, being, you know, lucky to steer toward the technology-facing uh, career, right? And uh, I think, yeah, that, that it's lucky. That's really important because all, I always try to to keep in mind that not everybody's had this fortune. Um, so then we should, you know, keep that in mind with anything we do. Um, my life story, so I, I, I was born um, and raised in Romania, in Transylvania, in the city of Cluj. So I come from a very Central Eastern European background. So I always say that, you know, uh, my, my national profile is, uh, to use a joke, you know, Anything, any nation or country that moved through this region, somebody in my family found them cute. Um, so um, I am a combination of almost every every nation and ethnicity that that, that has ever been here. So I'm a Romanian, Hungarian, uh, Jewish, German, uh, Gypsy. I have everything. So and I take very big pride in that. Um, and I, it's it's also I think one of the things that actually. Uh, makes me who I am and also makes me quite valuable to what I do because I I grew up with, you know, very different types of perspectives. Um, but we'll get to, to, to that point maybe later. It's um, actually, I, yeah. the thing is that you speak six languages. This is, and this is something, this is something. Well, uh, I speak six languages and, you know, but it's conversational versus professional. So I, I would say on the professional side, uh, four with you know and then took languages enough to get around and to impress the girls i was saying before you know uh in a supermarket um yeah i, I speak yeah. them but i can't even take credit for that again uh i speak romanian that's a very romance language right uh because of that um and uh because of in the early 90s when cable tv started showing up in romania and i was growing up uh we had we started having cable tv but we didn't have romania i was fortunate not actually have dubbed television it was always subtitles. Mm -hmm. um, but at that point, there were no subtitles. It was just a satellite, right? So it was just a direct feed. Tough laugh so we had two choices. Language. We had two choices, German or Italian. Italian was much easier. Hence, I picked up Italian by listening, by watching a lot of TV, right? Now, if you speak Romanian and Italian, which is easy, Spanish is a quite a logical thing to, to pick up on, right? So mm. it's not so much of... A brilliant, uh, you know, uh, the John Nash kind of mm -hmm. uh, intellectual capacity, but rather than a, a fortunate turn of events and the language, uh, the predisposition, if you will. Um, and also probably the fact that I grew up with Romanian and Hungarian, which are very different languages. So I think, and uh, I try to do that with my kids right now to expose them as much as possible to, to multiple languages. Uh, because I think it, and I've been reading uh, more of the summaries from very smart people rather than reading the books myself, I have to be admit, mm -hmm. that, you know, if you do this, you know, the 
the child's brain develops in a way that they're much easier to uh, absorb new new content and new languages. Um, so yeah, that's 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 the background, right? And there's um, also one unfair advantage most of the listeners maybe would not know, but Ru Romanian language is really really close to Latin. It, yeah, it actually sounds quite like Latin. Uh, I have to tell that the credit of this knowledge belongs to Flavia Barbat, my friend, who is also Romanian, and you might know her actually, might be part of your network. Uh, she's doing this conference, Rebels and Rulers, I believe, in Romania. So by the way, I can I can exchange your business cards later on. Uh, okay, so it's really nice that you are mixing those, like this variety of backgrounds and this is a, a unique thing in Romania and maybe it's uh, one of the reasons why a country is uh, growing lately in tech industry. Mm, you've been to a different companies and, and your background started with uh, entrepreneurship actually. Um, so the, the first job I would say was entrepreneur, right? And then you then you got into corporations, and from corporations you got back to startup industry. So it's an interesting trajectory where different things were mixed. So can you tell us how was the transition from one world to another, and what maybe why do you think it's beneficial to sort of try to taste uh, each of a different uh, food on the table? Well, I think it's, it depends on who you are and sort of how you work, right? For me, it's always, I've always wanted to try something new. I've always uh, tried to find my own way rather than go on a beaten path, right? doesn't mean I won't go on it, but it's to be a choice rather than a predetermined course of action. So um, mm -hmm. the first proper job, like, like if you will, self-determined job rather than internships, you know, through university was... Once I graduated, and I graduated out of, of UC Berkeley and the hospital business school there in, in California, um, most of my peers and my friends, they would go to, you know, there were two paths. It was, uh, well, three. Uh, big four that you would want to see, with kind of accounting, uh, um, then consulting, and M&A. Um, big four, no way. I don't want to be a bookkeeper. I didn't want to do it. Uh, um, it's very detailed oriented and I'm not that person. You have to be very picky. Um, M&A is way too much work for me. So it, it, my friends were telling me, oh, it's not that bad. I have a Sunday off a month. <laughs> nah, that's not really. Uh, I appreciate the honesty. You have a family, yeah. right? So, uh, there so I, you know, I, 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 said, I don't really see the benefit. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that you, then, you, you didn't refer to the free Saturday. Uh, benefit. <laughs> yeah, no. The free Saturday. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that, and then, uh, and then consulting. Yes, I wanted, but I don't know if I was good enough for like going for Bain or McKinsey or BCG, which you know I was trying for those three. So uh, I don't know if I I was well not determined enough to to go on that path. So then, but so this aside. Even while I was in the U.S., I, I still had uh, uh, a very, very close relationship and uh, you know, sentimental, if you will, but in, also with a business lens towards tourism and towards Romania. And one thing that I, I saw at that time, and that was I, I, I was reading the various newspapers, and I had a good friend 
um, this Russian friend from university and her uncle was an investor in Silicon Valley, but also uh, following world news. And he would always send me through, through Anna, through my friend, uh, uh, actually New York Times pages with some articles about Romanian tourism. And there was this count who actually has an amazing um, uh, chateau called the Transylvania Castle. I think even their website is transylvaniacastle.com, which is an old uh, house mansion from his old family that they got back after communism, which he turned into tourism. And I always looked at that tourism, that really authentic tourism, like heritage uh, tourism, cultural tourism, as something that was really, you know, could be something. So I, the first uh, time I, I got out of university, I said, oh, uh, I want to start something in that direction. I found a co-founder, somebody on the other end of their career, so somebody later, a former consultant on the East Coast, we met at a Romanian community event and we kind of were thinking the same thing. So um, at that point I said, okay, that's interesting. Let's do something together. So we started a little tour operator with the idea to serve the flocking, the, the, the thousands of Americans who were just waiting for an expensive offering to come to flock to Romania the next year. Um, and that as a friend of mine said later on was a half of an MBA. Uh, that year of experience where we got three customers well actually one customer three people going to romania <laughs> so uh mvp uh, <laughs> yes you can call it mvp but we, uh our, our silicon valley napkin showed a million dollars in the first year right right uh, it doesn't it's a magic good, return right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, yeah, that was the, my first thing, trying to do this tourism. I mean, it was a, it was amazing. So, actually, as an experience, it was great. Um, as a wake-up call, it was it was a little bit uh, shocking. So, I just say, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, my plans versus actually the reality, and not only about the market responding, but also also my relationship with my co-founder. Um, you know, setting expectations. Um, it was really, really a, a reality check for me. Mm -hmm. So a year later, you know, we, I, uh, we stopped that. Um, I said, okay, this is not working out. And um, at that point for me, was that was sort of the most existential. What do I do now? Um, and that, at that point, it was a, a bit of a, I'm not a religious person, but, you know, it was a bit of a very fortunate, lucky, right? Uh, I got called by a recruiter. I posted my web, my resume on monster.com um, and the recruiter saying, oh, we have a position for a financial analyst, uh, you know, and the, the phone wouldn't write and Microsoft or something. And I said, oh, sure, whatever, anything goes, right? So we got into um, tech industry there. There was this like, there was this. Apologies, uh, my son is right here. So he just took a head. No worries, send, sending my regards. Uh, yeah, so um, at that point, um, uh, so they invited me for a discussion. So I went there and this was a financial analyst. I, had no, I wasn't really on, uh, very passionate about working with Excel or everything else. On the other hand, I did feel at the time I was missing doing analytical work, like, like hmm. you know, heavy analytical lifting, mental lifting. I, I missed that. I do like that. So I like to play with models. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, might be the big, most complex thing was the sensitivity on how much they would keep price out, give us for a tour and how many tour travelers we would have to compute sort of the, the right pricing. But that, that was the most com complex thing I did mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I I, that, I, I got this invite and uh, I it, it it turned out it was Microsoft and it was their Silicon Valley offices. Um, and uh, I I went for the interview and uh, I had no experience and they were looking for somebody with two to four years experience. Uh, but the the recruiting uh, manager was had been to the same dorm I was in Berkeley. So he sort of that kind of got me to the trust level, and I I don't know if he um, I he, what he saw in me, but he gave me the, 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 this opportunity, um, and for me it was amazing because at those two years while I was in Microsoft and Silicon Valley as a financial analyst, for me it was amazing. I, I learned so much. Um, I learned about how corporations work. I was fortunate to be in a functioning one. So it was bureaucratic, but not too much. People were very open. So uh, I was a 24-year-old kid, right, as a senior financial analyst in Microsoft and Silicon Valley. Uh, and I started working on deals worth $100 million. Mm -hmm. And I was doing the financial modeling for it, right? Mm -hmm. I started learning, actually, a lot of the real ins and outs of finance, of what we you know, the of how actually that works of forecasting of building deals. Mm -hmm. um, so that, and it was dealing with telecom. Mm -hmm. It was dealing, so I was dealing on the sales side. So this is like, I was, I, I was supporting deals, you know, mm -hmm. and this will circle back to my current role. Yeah. Right? Uh, I was working with deals. And it was very interesting. It, it was telecom. I was dealing with the, working with the sales, the salespeople in, in Asia Pacific, in China, in Latin America, um, you know, uh, in all over Europe. So I would start my mornings with talking about deals in Europe with our Ireland team. Uh, through the day, have fun with the Latin America team on those deals. And the evening at five, the India, Singapore, Taiwan, China teams would come in and start working with them. It was really exciting. I really loved that part. Um, and then uh, about two years later, I actually got an opportunity because of this telecom exposure to go, to go back to Romania for an upstart telecom at the time to build, you know, video on demand and really cool stuff. So I came back as a, to do business development uh, in the mm -hmm. telecom sector. Um, that was, so it was that, that's sort of where I decided, you know, um, I, it's a good opportunity to go back to Romania. And it wasn't a, like, I'm not gonna, those patriotic uh, uh, shout outs, people say, oh, I sacrificed my personal being to go back to get to my country. No, it was a really, it was a professional, rational choice. I grew professionally with this move because I came from a solid position in Microsoft to a leadership position in a company of 600 people. Right. You know, so obviously financially you lose some, but the exposure that I got, you know, it was just unbelievable. Uh, and another reality check because this was fall 2008 and we were counting on so much money coming in and that was financial crisis. So, you yeah. Know, um, and then two months later, we had to fire one third of our staff uh we end up selling you know asset asset by asset the company so we wouldn't actually go into default um so instead of me doing business development i go went back to doing finance and actually doing m a work trying to to find the right investors and the and buyers for the company um and with that i actually dealt with pretty much every startup every investment when i started looking talking to investment funds in the region because um these were the the private equity funds at the time in, in the region, uh, and they were mostly Poland, Czech Republic. Uh, so it was it was quite interesting. And after that, uh, very quickly, I then I went to another role uh, as we sold that. I went to another role as a CFO for a 
municipal infrastructure for telecoms. Mm-hmm. Again, more on the financing side. Though I was working to try to find structured financing for these project 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 finance kind of work. Um, and then uh, after that, in 2013, I actually got into the IT world. And again, lucky, so I'm not going to put it. Um, I was doing consulting at the time for other companies about management consulting and financial consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my my father actually he had a software consulting, a software business, outsourcing software in Romania, out of California, which I never wanted to work for. Um, I, I, um, and then at a certain point, they, they had a fallout with their local partner, and they were sort of becoming a leadership void. Um, I was helping them with some financial stuff, but as a consulting purely. Um, and then I, at a certain point, he asked me if I wanted to, to lead that, the, the office there. And you know, I realized I was actually doing, I, I was, um, you know, um, doing exactly what I was not, I, what I did not want to do. I, you know, I didn't want to get a role because it was a family business, but I was refusing it because it was a family business. <laughs> I was, I would have done that for other companies, but I would not do it for them. So that was the moment I realized, okay, maybe I should, you know, um, uh, actually try to, to, to look at it professionally. And I did that. So I, I said, I'll do it temporary until we find new leadership. Five years later, I was still there. <laughs> so, um, and that's when we actually sold the technology into UiPath uh-huh. um, that we were developing and how I actually ended up in UiPath. Uh, and this is almost three years ago. Yeah, since UiPath is expanding so vastly, um... Do you know the current value of a company? Is it like? I think it's public, but uh, honestly, if you ask me, I'm not so much concerned about the value of the company rather than uh, what we are doing, right? And how it actually serves the mission that we're doing. Yeah, it's growing and I'm very happy and I think we're uh, we're seeing, you know, good. But uh, the current value, it's for me, it's, it's, that's a moment in time, you know, it's, it's a blip, right? Uh, it, it is. You know, it's, it's, it's about where, what the trend is, what the, what is doing, and how we're delivering on what we, we talk to our customers. About. It's probably a co- correct answer, a politically very correct answer. And, and, and I mean, I mean, I, I believe you. I click with you only for our listeners. The devaluation is in billions of is in billions of dollars. If, if you if you Google it, you'll see like there. It's I'm not sure even what the current one is. So so let me do that for you. Uh, and we will know the answer right now. Oh, it's officially is Decacorn now. So it should be valued at 10.2 billion. So yes, congrats. But as you said, it's only a blink. It's only a moment in time. It's a, it's a snapshot, if you will. Uh, but what's more important is what you do there. And to me, it's really interesting that you went from the head of campus to director of strategic initiatives. Uh, in UiPath, so tell me maybe slightly about the vision, about big things first, because, and I'm going to refer once again to what your founder said, uh, that you want to, a robot for everybody. Can you look like in the year 2030 and tell me how my daily life would look like, uh, especially concerning the, automation and robotization of processes? 
I, I, I wouldn't put myself in the company of the visionaries and the futurologists, if you will. But what I can tell you, you know, and I always make this analogy when, when asked about, you know, how this automation, you know, what does it do? And I said, mm-hmm. uh, the only thing it does is I, I think it will render the notion of the snooze button obsolete. Right. The idea is whatever you do, you'll enjoy it. You won't do anything because, you know, you, I have to do this, you know, every day. Yeah. The concept that I have to do this every the same thing every day will, will no longer be there. It's interesting. So my, my, it's yeah. part of the uh, psychology, right? When you, when you are trying to raise your child, it's also part of psychology when you tell him he or she has to do something. It's sort of discouraging to, towards this activity. So it makes a lot of sense what you just said. Yeah, but the, 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 the child, like, there, there are benefits, like you have to build habits in the way, like you have breakfast, the way you, mm-hmm. you know, and I have this, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old children, yeah, I have a son and a daughter. Two-year-old daughter, it's, uh, I, I agree with you, but the habit can be built much better when you sort of force it, not by like brute force, I mean, brute force. Uh... <laughs> We're just discussing how to raise kids, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, so I only said my point was that if you force them to do something, maybe it's better to incentivize them otherwise. So, and my parallel towards UiPath was that maybe you are giving space to people to develop in skills that they can develop instead of doing repetitive tasks that can be automated easily. So, can you can you give me like uh, an example of what? is a typical part of your automation process so the listeners can imagine what do you do really well uh, there's no typical part because it's so ui path right if you ui path user interface path right the idea is that you uh, you build automations by replicating what the person does on the, their computer right like how what clicks they do what what information they copy paste from one place to another what systems they open what they do so that that's you know in a nutshell, what that does. You know, obviously this behind it, you know, in the, the in the back end, there's a lot of technology happening there. There's a lot of whether it's computer vision because you have to work with the with the remote desktop or you know any virtual machine uh, to um, whatever um, the actually OCRing text from one place to the other, from actually dealing with the APIs on system. So there's a lot of it. But in a nutshell, that it is. You know, anything that you do. Uh, that you know is repetitive. You do the same clicks, copy paste, the same calculations over and over again. That can be automated, right? Sure. Um, so high volume things that you do in high volume that are few exceptions and everything else that can be automated. Now, obviously, we, as the automation scope increases, more and more things can be automated. There's decision making. There's AI. Everything else that can go into this. Mm-hmm. But in a nutshell, and for you know. The everyday user, the idea is to make that their life. They can be involved in a large automation, you know, as you're processing invoices, just at the point where there's an exception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the automation will open a pop-up for you. Oh, is this, is this fine? Is this not? Do you want to correct this? You know, this flagged our, you know, our mechanism that checks for, you know, inconsistency or whatever. So mm-hmm. you build the exception basis and that's where the human intervenes, right? Mm-hmm. I always give the example of my accountant because somebody said, you know, in, in a discussion, like, Oh, but you're gonna be, you know, replacing the job of the accountant. And I said, well, let me give you the example of my own accountant, right? Uh, my problem, you know, with the accountant, with how accountancy works, is that their time is spent on on filling paperwork, 
right? And they're not, the, my account doesn't tell me, oh, I see your pattern of spending has changed. If you continue this up, you're gonna grind some cash issues. They mm -hmm. don't do that. And that's the value of the accountant. So actually it would enable my accountant to charge me a premium because they're no longer a paper pusher to the state authorities, but rather than a value adder, somebody monitoring, understanding my patterns, understanding maybe, oh, did you know that there's you know, this tax incentive you can use, or there's this, you know, you can actually hire somebody because you'll have an incentive to do so, right? It's about value added rather than just, you know, being a toll booth operator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. So can you, uh, let me get back to my previous question. I mean, to the first question that I had regarding the bigger vision, like, can you maybe visualize what will happen in 10 years, like how this automation will look like in my daily life? And I know that you're not the CEO, but still you've been part of the strategic initiatives as, as its director. So I think you pretty much know where this all is heading, right? Well, I, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll reference the, vi the vision of Daniel, our CEO, right? And his vision has been, and you know, one of the things it's been very crystal clear, right? I want a robot for every person, right? That's, that's sort of the mantra that's been guiding us. We want automation to be accessible, not only to the developer, but to the business user, right? To the, to the computer operator. Right, and, and that really guides us, you know, and you were saying, you know, about, you know, how this will happen. We're doing this, we're, we're about responsibility, right? We, we're investing not only in the technology, but also in the democratization of it. Um, we had the first community program, like I mentioned to you before, right? We, anybody can download and use it for free, our technology. Mm -hmm. It's like any individual user can go and download and use it for free. We have an academy program where we have over a million people. Anybody can sign up and get those classes. They can go and get, get classes. They can go learn about our technology for free. Everything is free. We have programs, I think, with over 500 universities right now worldwide where we have our peer classes, where we give all these materials for free. You know? So it, it's about having it's the vision, I would say, and obviously I'm not, uh, it's not that automation uh, you know, goes in every enterprise, but automation serves every every worker, every person in the enterprise, and not only in the enterprise. It serves any com person using a computer. I think that, that that's and that's that's that is, I think, the mantra and the the substance of the robot for every person. Mm -hmm. How that will happen in you know, in fifty, in twenty, in ten years from now, you know, I I don't want to be Bill Gates, you know, and he's a, one of the smartest people around, but he said six hundred and forty kilobytes should be enough for everybody. You know, so um, okay. So yeah. we will see if one robot will be enough for everybody. But thank you for this introduction. I think it was valuable. Uh, let me maybe get back to community and entrepreneurship a bit because I know that apart from your role in UiPath, you are giving back to society, to entrepreneurial uh, society, uh, not only in Romania. So. Can you give us a glimpse of what you're doing there and how people can get in touch with you and potentially discuss their business ideas and get help? Well, um, it's funny because actually right now as we're recording this, we're in the middle of, of, of a program uh, called the UiPath Automation Awards. The genesis of this is, this, you know, we obviously want to give back and we do want to help other companies in the region. We do want to be part of building an ecosystem. 
but it's also very pragmatic reasons. A lot of people in UiPath do come from an entrepreneurial background. Whether they had their own companies, they were working for startups, you know, um, but they're all very many are interested, so they want to support. So any people were, would get a lot of requests, you know, ad hoc on various channels. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? And on many channels to many people, you know, many to many, which is inefficient in, in this sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, we said last year, because this is the second edition we run right now, that why don't we have a formal program to actually support startups and scale-ups and actually structure this help? Right, and, and give everybody the opportunity, right? Not only people who know us directly. So we built this program called the UiPath Automation Award, mm -hmm. which obviously is catered to startups and scale-ups that do a, serve auto, an automation purpose, right? And it's a software automation as opposed to robots. So it's not about mechanical factory line. Uh, but we left it, this is as much as we put guardrails on, on the scope. So we didn't go more than that. So we left people to, you know, because you can automate so many different ways, various things. Um, so we've done this, this is the second edition. This year we've had about 250 companies actually that came into the program. Um, we actually on the 17th of December after, so it, it will have, you know, it, it will be uh, post uh, when you listen to this podcast. Um, but we actually will have the, the final, the six companies um, that actually will, will, will compete. One of, the, one of the finalists is actually from the Czech Republic. Um, okay. And uh, we'll have three companies for startups and three companies for scale-ups compete for the final. Um, and it's, for us, it's, it's, it's amazing what we do because obviously we want to help them, but we also, for us, it's, you know, we're always understand where the technology is going, right? And I think if you want to be a successful company, you always have to monitor what others are doing. You cannot build everything yourself. You have to be an ecosystem. You have to, you know, understand work with these companies, you know, uh, find these really smart people, these founders, and see if you can help them because it will help you eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, we've been discussing before we started recording this session, we've been discussing also some sort of a snowball effect that you're enabling in Romania and maybe in wider region. So by uh, getting on board people like you and Potentially in a couple of years, you will maybe decide to pursue your own uh, idea or your, your different path. So by this, by sort of teaching people, you create this uh, atmosphere and you create this potential. Can you give me a little bit more uh, about what do you think about this importance of a snowball effect and how does it work in your, uh, in your company? How does it work in UiPath? I wouldn't like. I don't know about in UI path. Uh, obviously, excitement comes from success, and we've been very successful. Okay, uh, but uh, in the region, um, we're. I think the C because I'm I'm referring to this as a Central Eastern Europe region. I think we're still we're starting to see success. We're starting to see some companies, but if you look at you know the propensity and the uh, the volume. We're, the proportion, not just because like you don't want to, we're still early. So I think there's a lot of potential. Um, on one hand, yes, um, individually, as more companies will be successful, more people will see examples of success close to them. So, you know, it's going to be, that's obviously, if you see somebody who's really had a tremendous success around you, you, you will want to replicate it. It is going to inspire you to try yourself, right? So that's for one hand. The risk, on the other hand, is that, you know, oh, we've seen the success, 
you know, you start uh, expecting it to happen rather than work for it to happen. Oh, so now, you know, we, we should see the success, you know, let me just start my own company, funding will come. It's not that. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, and I, I always give the examples of the ecosystem that are, you know, the champions, whether it's the US and Israel that I'm more familiar with, right? Their success is based on so many factors. And the, obviously one is people's capacities for risk and, you know, inspiration, but it's also a system that supports them and supports them in an, in, in a, uh, in an intelligent way. It's not only, oh no, funding is a big part of it, but it's how you structure that funding and what do you aim with that funding. And I think that's important um, for that. But yeah, to your question, yes, there, I hope there will be a snowball success, but I think it's not, uh, the snowball effect is, uh, is an outcome of many things happening, right? It's not, it's, the snowball effect won't be the only, just with a snowball from seeing many people around you, you're not going to have all the success you want. We still need to do something. And I think large corporates, like UiPath is becoming, right? As well as smaller organizations, you know, or, or you know, invest the investor world, you know, or, or like uh, your organization, they support this. They, they, we all play a role. And I think if we, if we manage to build this, you know, somewhat coherently with a healthy competition even, that will support it. That is a hopeful uh, assumption, uh, and I am with you on board. I hope that this will end up as a snowball. But maybe before we get there, what do you see as uh, the biggest failures you see among startups in your region? Um, because when we're looking at startups, we mostly criticize that they're not too self-oriented. They are usually too much product-oriented, and there is not enough hunger, I would say. I, I I don't I'm not that close to the startup world to see to, to be able to venture and obviously I know more about what's happening in Romania. Uh, what I see now on the other hand, like with like we've looked at hundreds of companies right now. So there's there's really solid technology. But many times what I've seen, many are just replicating the same model. Right? And some of them, which is fair enough, replication model does work. So I'm not saying um, but you're, you're right. I think it, it, they have to be more ambitious and the, more ambitious in not saying I want to do this, but actually act on those ambitions. And that means getting out of their comfort zone, like get another co-founder with you that maybe has something you don't have, you know, uh, search for an investor and, you know, search for, search for the right investor, not for the one that gives you most money. Mm -hmm. Right. Look at who really can help you with that vision. Uh, Take chances, right? You, you iterate, you know, take chances, try this out, make quick, quickly try it out, see where it fails. If it doesn't adapt quickly, you know, these are the kind of things rather than, you know, uh, although it's a natural tendency to be in love with your child, right? Uh, you know, on the other hand, um, and uh, which is why it's so complicated, it's not a clear formula. You also have to persevere, hmm. Hmm. you know, don't, you know, if, believe in your vision believe like like UiPath right UiPath is yeah is a great, great success but for 10 years this was a company of 10 people you know living month to month quote unquote right building yeah. you know custom automation libraries for customers mm -hmm. uh, it didn't have a clear product didn't have, they learned it they they they, they continued they gritted it out right mm -hmm. um, 
Mm. So the, the, you have to also have that and understand it's not supposed to be a comfortable ride. Okay. It's not, I don't think it's for everybody. Yeah, it's not for everybody. That's true. And it's sometimes it's wrongly presented by media and there's a mixture of uh, definitions of what startups are actually and what are not. So this is what we're seeing in the media space. Um, all right. Thank you for sharing uh, your point of view on startups and also uh, a different perspective about your career and personal path and UI path. <laughs> But maybe let's end up with a couple of hints and tips and tricks. Uh, if you will, um, maybe a couple of movies and book, book tips from you. Uh, what are your favorite, uh, favorite books that are a part of who you are now? Uh, and I, I know that you're a sci-fi sci fan, so... As I yeah, but I'm not going to start with those because I know Dune is coming out as a film, <laughs> so it's going to be it's going to be back on the top sellers. Okay. Um, Catch Twenty Two for me is an amazing book. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's you know it's one of like one of the few books that I was reading in a park and I was just laughing out loud, literally on a bench. Uh, it's amazingly well written, but it's also quite there's there's a, a significant uh, lessons in it and messages there, right? Hence. I read it because I heard that everybody was talking, oh, it's a catch-22. And like, great, but what exactly does a catch-22 mean? All right, so I had to read the book, and I've read it, I think, three times already. Um, so it's an, it's an amazing way. I definitely recommend so you understand, you know, what the absurd and the infinite loop actually means. Um, now, um, I also like, you know, sort of the, I like, I don't like them, but I try to read. Um, and I, I read a few years back um, a trilogy called Night, the Night, Dawn, Day trilogy from Eli Wiesel, who's a Holocaust survivor, uh -huh. which is a sheer description of the experience, of their experience through the Holocaust. Um, and yeah, okay, the trauma of the Holocaust we are familiar with is really good. But what even there is, you know, to understand the randomness of survival sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. and how, um, and also it, it's, it's a very interesting trilogy because the first one is autobiographic. The second one, they're not called autobiographic. It's actually, it's called, he defines them, he defined them, so he passed away a few years back, as fiction. But if you see, it's actually following the same character. And I actually, what it does, it shows you the genesis from being a victim to starting to become, you know, how that Im impacts you as a human person and how that takes away from things. And, you know, um, and th this is also the genesis of, you know, to understand how people become who they become. Mm -hmm. You know, what are those triggers? Um, another book that uh, um, I actually... Uh, really liked and it's very similar to this is called Shalimar the Clown from Salman Rushdie mm -hmm. um, which is actually the genesis of a of a suicide bomber pretty much it's a it's a great person a very smart child everything in Kashmir and how geopolitics and what's happening there pushes him to this brink mm -hmm. right it's um it's a very, very powerful book. I like, I like Rushdie in general, but this one is, uh, it's one of the easiest to read as opposed to the Satanic Verses, which is too full of metal. It's, it's amazing, but it's very, it's like the Master and Margarita, right? It's, it's a metaphor in itself, the entire book. 
<laughs> but this one uh, um, is a little easier read, but it's, it kind of rings closer to home, I think, into what's happening in the world right now. Um, uh, sci-fi books, um, yeah, Arthur C. Clarke, I think, Space Odyssey is, mm-hmm. like, I would think that's a fundamental sci-fi, right? Because Dune, for me, is not a sci-fi. Dune, for me, is a book about political science, ecology, and, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and religion. And Paul, yeah, it, this is it, right? It's, it's a book about how you actually build its leadership, political science, religion, and ecology. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, uh, so I, it's, it's a, so sociology as well. So psychology of the masses, everything. And also, that's also the, 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 the genesis of a tyrant. If you, look, if you read through the, the series of novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping that in your shortlist there would be something from Karel Chapek. Uh, are you I haven't a- read Karel Chapek. <laughs> well, uh, I haven't read Karel Chapek. I did know about the robot coming from there, but I haven't yeah. read Karel Chapek. Uh, what I did do have actually, and one of the funniest books, and it applies so much to the corporate world, um, is um, the the twelve. Uh, no, it's actually the Golden Calf. There's two books from Ilson Petrov. Uh, the Russian writers and their comedy. Uh, and one of the really, 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 it stuck with me, this parable. And I found myself in this situation sometimes. I was laughing when I was changing roles in companies or something. Um, they, they bring in, in this, this Soviet factory a, a German consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the German consultant, like his experience comes through the, his letters to his fiance in Munich. And he says, oh, but my dear, I came here, you know, um, it's all nice. They're really nice to me. They haven't given me anything to do. They should pay me technically next week. I don't know why they would, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next letter is, uh, yeah, they've paid me. Still, nobody gives me what, anything to do. So, and then the, the kind of book progresses how he's trying to chase the management and nobody wants to talk to him because, you know, they don't know what they, they brought him because they had to bring a German consultant. <laughs> but uh, everybody's literally running and they have this whole... Uh, complex schemas of avoiding him and you know they have this flag so that he's he's around they they go on side doors or something right sounds After, like that, right uh, it, pretty much but at the end you know like eventually like two months later with his story he eventually figures it out and he finds all the management into uh into one room and he says you know this is unacceptable you know i've been here for two months you know you, you're running away from me this is not and you know the management looks at him as look at this guy. Besides the fact that he doesn't do anything, he complains. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I appreciate the joke. Okay. Yeah, uh, so, uh, so uh, that's a, it's a really funny, funny read. Um, <laughs> um, trying to think, and you know, on the on the very serious night, it's only also uh, sociological. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steinbeck, I really like Steinbeck, and. Mm-hmm. For all his writing style, John Steinbeck has an amazing writing style uh, with, with descriptions, but the descriptions of human character. Mm. Uh, there's one quote that I really like. Um, I think it's in The Winter of Our Discontent. You know, uh, fear not the bombs, for the bombs are proof that the human spirit is alive. Uh, fear, the bomb, fear the moment when the bombs are gone, but the bomb is still living, because that's when the human spirit has, not di- has died. Mm. Mm. It's, it's, uh, I'm not uh, about political philosophy, but rather than human mental, right? You know, mm. it's, uh, I use that when I'm looking at political movements. If you see people revolting, you know, that's, it's okay. You know, if you see that there's movement. When it's calm, 
that's when you have to, everything is calm. Nobody says anything dissent. That's when you have to worry about things. So. Interesting. No, uh, I appreciate that. And I think part of who you are is created by what you consume media wise and books are uh, definitely a, a vital part of it. So thank you for this and thank you for the whole session. I, I do appreciate that. I hope that we'll have a chance to talk again, maybe in a year or two and see where the UI path took us uh, to sort of fulfill that vision to have a robot for everybody. I am also keeping my fingers crossed to the whole Romanian entrepreneurial community as I do the same for the Czech one and for any community in Central Europe or anywhere basically on the planet. So thank you for being part of the podcast. Uh, all who you uh, listen up until this moment, you can go to www.swcsummit.com to go and listen to more podcasts that we had with previous guests. So thank you once again. Uh, Uh, if you have one last shout to uh, our listeners, then please use it now. Uh, okay, so thank you very much, and also congratulations for what you do to the to, to support the ecosystem. So uh, thank you for the invitation, and I hope this has been interesting at last. Uh, at least um, one thing I, I would say the last shout out is uh, look at what like keep your eyes always open, right? Um, and uh, you know, on, on the on the social side, uh, one of my my favorite uh, quotes from a very smart professor from University of Colorado is, uh, "Great minds don't think alike. Great minds think better together." Mm -hmm. Right, and this is sort of counterintuitive to the "great minds think alike." You know, just open yourself to being to staying next to the person who you disagree with or you don't think alike and just think together, start thinking together. Mm -hmm. okay. Whether in startups or in bringing innovation or in societal issues. Thank you very much. Thank you for the last shout out. And I hope that I will uh, continue this conversation a couple of years and we'll see the fruits that you just uh, created with UiPath. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Václav. Have a great day and thank you to have all the listeners. Take pleasure, care. pleasure. Stay safe. <laughs> You too. Ciao.